We take up our <coughs> reading today where, <coughs> excuse me, Bunyan writing in this part two, Pilgrim's Progress, Christiana and her family. <coughs> we come to the reading where he says, by this time they were got to enchanted ground where the air naturally tended to make one drowsy. So we've come to that location again, uh, to that place called Enchanted Ground. Bunyan says, And that place was all grown over with briars and thorns, excepting here and there, where was an enchanted arbor upon which a man sits, or in which if a man sleeps, it is a question, some say, whether ever he shall rise or wake again in this world. Over this forest, therefore, they went, both one and another. Mr. Greatheart went before, <coughs> excuse me, for that he was the guide. And Mr. Valiant for Truth came behind, being rear guard, for fear lest peradventure some fiend or dragon or giant or thief should fall upon their rear and so do mischief. They went on here, each man with his sword drawn in his hand, for they knew it was a dangerous place. Also they cheered up one another as well they could, as well as they could. Feeble mind, Great heart commanded, feeble mind, great heart commanded, should come up after him. And Mr. Despondency was under the eye of Mr. Valiant. And of course, these are the, the instructions and the order given, which is needful for the varying parties that are in this band of pilgrims. Ivamy said, Old pilgrims, ye who have set out well and gone on well for a long season, consider, ye are yet in the world which is enchanted ground. Know your danger, know your danger of seeking rest here or of sleeping in any of its enchanted arbors. Though the flesh may be weary, the spirits faint and the arbors inviting, yet beware. Press on. Look to the strong for strength. That's with a capital S. Look to the strong for strength and to the beloved for rest in his way. So Ivamy takes a warning from this, from this section to warn old saints, even those that are Experience like Mr. Greatheart, Mr. Valiant for Truth, they all went forward with their swords drawn. They're not going to take for granted that they're safe on this ground. Just because they're old saints, just because they are experienced, they're not going to sleep, they're not going to turn into an arbor and take a rest, and they're not going to walk without sword drawn in their hand. Each man with his sword drawn in his hand. And Ivan picks up on that 
and sends out a warning even for experienced believers not to fall prey in this place. Bunyan says, now they had got, they had not gone far, <clears throat> but a great mist and darkness fell upon them all. So that they could scarce for a great while see the one, the other. Wherefore they were forced for some time to feel one for another by words. For they walked not by sight. But anyone must think that here was but sorry going for the best of them all. But how much worse for the women and the children who both of feet and heart were but tender. Yet so it was that through the encouraging words of him that led in the front and of him that brought up behind, brought them up behind, they made a pretty good shift to wag along. <laughs> Beautiful expressions, aren't they? Bunyan's expressions in Old English. They made a beautiful, they made a pretty good shift to wag along. Going, of course, under the strength and uh, superintendence of Mr. Greatheart leading them, valiant for truth, bringing up the rear. The way also here was very wearisome through dirt and slabbiness. Nor was there on all this ground so much as one inn or victualling house wherein to refresh the feebler sort. Here, therefore, was grunting and puffing and sighing while one tumbleth over a bush, another sticks fast in the dirt, and the children, some of them, lost their shoes in the mire. While one cries out, I am down. And another, Ho, where are you? And a third, The bushes have got such fast hold on me, I think I cannot get away from them. So the scene that Bunyan is painting here, of course, is one of great distress and difficulty. These pilgrims are trying to move forward, and move forward they must. But it is with great difficulty, even for the best of them, because of the mist and the mire and the thorns and all that blocks their way. Then they came at an arbor, warm and promising, much refreshing to the pilgrims. For it was finely wrought above head, beautified with greens, furnished with benches and settles. It also had in it a soft couch whereon the weary might lean. This, you must think, all things considered, was tempting. For the pilgrims already began to be foiled with the bad, badness of the way. But there was not one of them that made so much as a motion to stop there. Yea, for aught I could perceive, they continually gave so good heed to the advice of their guide, and he did so faithfully tell them of dangers 
and of the nature of dangers when they were at them, that usually when they were nearest to them, they did most pluck up their spirits and hearten one another to deny the flesh. So the wonderful thing here is that they are listening. They are listening very much to their leaders. They're listening. This arbor was a temptation. But they were determined to deny their flesh and go forward. This arbor was called the slothful's friend on purpose to allure, if it might be, some of the pilgrims there to take up their rest when weary. And don't we all know, don't we all know what that experience is like in the, in our pilgrimage in our Christian walk to just be to just be weary to just weary there's no better word in the English language to describe it you're just weary it's beyond tired absolutely weary exhausted and it's a dangerous time it's a very Dangerous time for the believer. Avami said, deny yourselves. Deny yourselves is the word from Christ. The slothfulness, ease, and desires of the flesh must be denied, or danger will inevitably ensue. To gratify the flesh is to destroy the spirit's comfort if not the soul's salvation. Remember this, when temptations which promise much ease and pleasure beset you, remember this, deny yourself. Though feelings may be lost, light may fail, and comforts forsake us, yet faith will supply the lack of all. Like Moses, we shall endure seeing him who is invisible. Scott, in your book, <clears throat> says this. This view of the enchanted ground seems to vary from that which has been considered in the first part. Part one. The circumstances of believers who are deeply engaged in business, constrained to spend much time among worldly people, may here be particularly intended. This may sometimes be unavoidable, but it is enchanted ground. I underlined that in my book and put a star beside it. Those of us who have worked in public, worked secular jobs all of our lives, we know well what Scott is trying to say to us here. It may be necessary. It may be unavoidable, in fact. But he says, don't forget it. It is still enchanted ground. Many professors 
fascinated by the advantages and connections thus presented to them, fall asleep and wake no more. And others are entangled by those thorns and briars which choke the word and render it unfruitful. The more soothing the scene, the greater the danger. Hmm. And the more urgent need is there for watchfulness and circumspection. The more vigilant believers are, the greater uneasiness will such scenes occasion them. As they will be so long out of their proper element, and the weaker and more unestablished men are, the more apt they will be in such circumstances to yield to discouragement. The society and council of faithful ministers and Christian friends may help them to get on. But they will often feel that their path is miry and slippery, entangling and perplexing, dark and wearisome to their souls. Yet if this be the case, their sighs, complaints and prayers are hopeful symptoms. But when worldly employments and connections, which perhaps at first were in a very sense unavoidable, when those things induce prosperity and men seek comfort from this prosperity, instead of considering it as a snare or burden or improving it to a uh, it improving it as a talent, then the professor falls asleep in the enchanted arbor. It behooves, however, all who love their souls to shun that hurry of business and multiplicity of affairs and projects into which many are betrayed by degrees in order to supply increasing expenses that might be avoided by strict frugality and more moderate desires. Now there's a phrase right there that you could pluck out and just write it in front of your Bible or just put it somewhere and just occasionally just without even any context, just take the phrase and just read it. Strict frugality and more moderate desires. I don't believe there's a one of us that couldn't take that to heart. Not a one of us that couldn't take that to heart. He said when they, it behooves all who love their soul to shun that hurry of business and multiplicity of affairs and projects into which many are betrayed by degrees in order to supply increasing expenses which might have been avoided with some strict frugality and moderate desires. I don't know a man alive on the planet right now today who could stand in the face of that statement with less shame and more conviction than uh, Dr. Peter Masters at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. If you know the man, if you know him personally, if you know his life, he is a, he is a great and godly example of a man who is very serious in his conviction about frugality, 
frugality, and moderate living. What a great example. And he's written, uh, he has at least a, a couple of books available through the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, I don't know if they were sermons. I think one of them was sermons compiled. One of them was a book he wrote. But he has written on this subject and speaks on it quite often. This matter of not being wrapped up in things in this world. Their church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, I won't speak in any specifics because I may misspeak. I don't remember exact details. But that church, as a church, one of the things they take very seriously is that they oversee the personal lives of their members to see if there is creeping into them a worldliness of extravagance. And he often admonishes that church of the dangers of prosperity and uh, immoderate expenses. He, he says that a man shouldn't buy uh, a luxury car. That a, a good, moderate car will serve you well. And there's no reason, no matter how much you make, you ought not own such things. I mean, he's very strict about it. And uh, if anybody would like to pursue that subject ever, I would point you to Dr. Peter Masters, Metropolitan Tabernacle, and to his writings on the subject. So Scott says that many are betrayed by degrees. They slowly drift off into this situation. For these things laid the soul with thick clay. They are a heavy weight to the most upright. They render a man's way doubtful and joyless and drown many in destruction and perdition. Quite a note, quite a note that uh, Scott gives us on this matter. McGuire also commenting here says, the natural tendency of this place, enchanted ground, is to make one drowsy. The enchantments of the world are dangerous to the spiritual health, tending to stupefy the soul and bring it into the captivity of spiritual lethargy and unconcern. It represents that state of carnal ease and worldly prosperity that rocks the spiritual man to sleep, bewitching him with the world's smiles and sunshine and causing him to forget God. The stumblings and downfalls of the pilgrims indicate the dangers of such a state of spiritual night and darkness, and the arbor with its soft and tender couch means the utter relapse of the soul entirely resigned to the pleasures of life and spellbound by its wily enchantments. The midst, mist and the darkness consist with the spirit of the enchanted sea. Worldly pleasure waves her magic wand and bids a cloud of mist incense to arise and mysterious darkness to descend 
And under these influences, the soul is induced to slumber and to sleep the deep, deep slumber. It may be the deadly sleep of oblivion and forgetfulness. The soul needs light. The soul needs light in such a place. And by that light, the pilgrim may do well to read the directions of the way, lest they too should be entangled in the net of the flatterer or in some other yoke of bondage. There is also great danger here, lest we mistake the true nature of the right way. In days of ease and worldly peace, we're liable to choose the cleanest way and to avoid the narrow path because it may, for the time, seem to be less pleasant to the tread. Here it is important, yea, essential, that we consult a map, seeing that by this only can we tell whether each way leads and what is the end to which each path conducts. This is the place wherein to walk with wary steps and wakeful eye by faith and not by sight. Much warning, much warning, much warning does this place give to us. Overton said, The person who travels on a dark and dangerous road through the unknown country is liable to stumble, to wander wrong at every step. But if he is furnished with a lamp or a lantern, by diligent circumspection and a proper use of the friendly light which he carries with him, he may escape every danger and avoid every mistake, even when he passes over the most dangerous and deceitful part of his journey. And thus it is with the Christian pilgrim to the celestial city. By proper use of the Holy Scriptures, he is directed right, avoids every stumbling block, and pursues his way safely, however dark or difficult this path may be. He can say to the God of his salvation, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Enchanted ground. My, my. We all are in danger of falling into that place. Enchanted ground. Bunyan said, I saw then in my dream that they went on in this, their solitary ground till they came to a lace. Now that's a, that's an old English word. It simply means a snare. They came to a lace at which a man is apt to lose his way. Now though when it was light, their guide could well enough tell how to miss those ways that lead wrong. Yet in the dark, he was put to a stand. But he had in his pocket a map of all the ways leading to and from the celestial city. Wherefore he struck a light, for he never goes without his tinder box also, and takes a view of his book or map, which bids him to be careful in that place to turn to the right hand. And had he not been careful here to look in his map, 
they had all in probability been smothered in the mud for just a little before them and that at the end of the cleanest way too was a pit none knows how deep full of nothing but mud they're made on purpose to destroy the pilgrims in so you see the guide had a map and you know the symbolism here it's clear enough is it not go with the map the scriptures we have a map and when we're in a dark place we consult the map then thought I with myself who that goeth on pilgrimage but would have one of these maps about him that he may look when he is at a stand which is the way that he must take Scott's rightly and wisely says this emblem indicates the duty of constant attention to the precepts and counsels of scripture as well as reliance on its promises and of an habitual application to the Lord by prayer to teach us the meaning of his word that we may learn the way of peace and safety in the most difficult and doubtful cases and the advantage of consulting such ministers as are most experienced in the ways of God and most conversant with his sacred oracles. How very, very wisely has Scott put it. I can find it. Yes. Uh, I've may had a poem in another section, not not referring to this section on Pilgrim's Progress, but another section. I've may had a poem that I thought was worth the hearing. This place hath been our second stage. This is in Bunyan's writings. This place hath been our second stage. Here we have heard and seen those good things that from age to age to others hid have been. The dunghill raker, spider, hen, the chicken, too, to me, have taught a lesson. Let me then conform it to it be. The butcher garden and the field, the robin and, the, and his bait, also the rotten tree doth yield me argument of weight to move me for to watch and pray, to strive to be sincere, and to take my cross day by day and serve the Lord with tear, to watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. And certainly, we do that watching by taking heed to the scriptures. 
These are those things that Scott talked about. This, this is that which will keep us. And he says the constant attention to the precepts, the counsels, and the promises of Scripture. This is our map. This is what we consult. This is how we know how to avoid these things. It is shocking to me, even, even it shouldn't be, <laughs> it still remains shocking to me every week I encounter folks who are boldly professing believers. In fact, they're sitting in public places with a Bible, reading the Bible. And it's shocking to me that notwithstanding all of that, how very, very little modern, in air quotes, modern Christians know about the Bible. I mean, they simply don't. They just simply don't. I don't know what it is they're reading when they read because they don't, they don't know the scriptures. And that, that is the map. That's what will keep us out of these places of death. We'll stop the reading there today. Is there any uh, comments, questions, testimonies? Forced for some kind of forced for some time to feel one for another by words. By words, yes. One would call out and say, I'm in the mire. Lost my shoot, I'm down. Noah say, Where are you? Another say, Bushes have got me. Feeling for one another by words. Hmm. In my own path, I've been impressed with this feature of the silver path. This feature. I am of a mind that as we search for the fruits to ascertain the standing of others with the Lord, this has to bring And you may not really see that about another person until you are yourself in the valley. Searching about his words, and you come to many who even claim to be Christian, and they have no words to offer. That's right. Mm. Mm.
a blessing for him too. Not the conversion. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, you can't see the next step to hear the words of a fellow Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I didn't emphasize it terribly much, but I did mention it this morning. The definitions given by modern men of, quote, Christianity. They would have you to believe that God never designed or intended for any of his people to be in such a place. But it is the will of God in his work and sanctification to us that we sometimes will walk, we'll walk in places where there's great darkness and hard to take the next step, just the next step. And may have to rely on voices of others saying, come on, come this way, follow me. Hear my voice, follow me, come on. Go with me. We may find ourselves in those places. And it is the will of God. Thank God for those voices. For those great hearts. And valiant for truth. and People that can speak to us and help us. Any other? All right, let's pray together.